Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, December 21st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, Mercedes brings us the latest on the travel advisory put in place last week by the feds in order to battle increasing cases of the Omicron variant across the country. When's the last time you reviewed your home insurance policy and do you know the parameters in place to keep your coverage intact when you're traveling away from your home for an extended period? We speak with insurance specialist Tammy Truman of Truman Insurance for what you need to know before your next getaway. It's being called the Great COVID Infodemic, and it involves misinformation networks spreading rhetoric through social media networks. We speak with Ashley Stewart, national online journalist for Global News, for details on her deep dive investigation into the major players behind the misinformation. And finally, have you taken a rapid test for COVID-19? Sue takes one for the team. Walking us through the steps of the test from beginning to end, Sue's first-hand account, and of course her results, all within the span of a few short minutes. The federal government has brought back travel advisories and pre-arrival PCR testing ahead of the busy holiday travel season. With details on that and everything making waves out of Ottawa, we're joined this morning by Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, guys. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad you're feeling better because we've got questions for you. Uh, let's, so let's start with this one. What is the federal government doing? I know this is a question that you asked. It was a big part of the West Block on the weekend, what, what the feds are doing to prepare the country for what some are saying could be the hardest phase of this pandemic. Yeah, it, it really is a question that's still ongoing. So far, as you know, uh, they're warning Canadians not to leave the country. And that wasn't the advice that a lot of folks wanted to hear, who feel that, you know, they've followed the rules, they got vaccinated, they social distanced, they wore masks. You're finally going to go see some family outside the country or maybe go on a nice vacation. Um, and now all of that is Uh, being thrown out the window. At this point, there's no quarantine coming back. You have to have a negative PCR test no matter where you're coming back from. uh, And it has to be 72 hours in advance. That had been waived for a while for the U.S. That's no longer the case. There's not a requirement at this time for people to quarantine, but basically the federal government won't rule out that possibility. Uh, And they are also warning that other countries could potentially close their borders and leave you stranded. Mm -hmm. So it's still very much an evolving situation. The primary concern here in Canada, though, is community spread. It's not having it come in internationally, but the feds say that they just don't want to sort of open the door for more to come in faster, and that's the reason why they're doing this. But they're taking a lot of criticism uh, from some scientists and from some premiers who say that that approach is not science-based. Well, and it's interesting because it is, as you mentioned, Mercedes, an advisory at this point. We did see with you know, banning travel from southern African countries, very little effect on slowing Omicron. So does the federal government think this will have a, a real impact? Well, that's a great question. They say that they think that it will. Um, a lot of the scientific community says that's not the case. Uh, in fact, Dr. Howard New said last week when he was asked about it that they give the advice, but politicians consider that advice and other factors. What are those other factors? Well, there are things like public opinion and there are things like politics. And if you remember earlier on in the pandemic, one of the things the liberals got hammered on the hardest by the conservatives was not bringing in a travel ban or closing the borders earlier. Uh, Places like Australia and New Zealand did that. Uh, So did uh, some other um, 
countries in Asia, and, and there, there was some success. Most of those countries, however, were also islands, mm. uh, which made it a lot easier to close the borders than somewhere like Canada and the United States, where even when we said the borders were closed, uh, there were people driving back and forth across every day because we have essential workers, we have services, we have trucks with all kinds of food and auto parts and everything else on them going back and forth. Um, so I think that uh, they just felt that they they really um, were vulnerable on that, and doing this shut down that criticism. It opened them up to criticism from the scientific community and from others saying there is no science behind a travel ban, uh, in particular from these countries where it was first detected. It doesn't mean that's where it's originating from, and it had already spread uh, well outside those countries to Europe at that point. Um, but I think that that's something where they were just really politically vulnerable, and they decided to not leave themselves open to more allegations of having not acted quickly enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sort of on that note, does it seem like there might be even an extension beyond what rules are in place right now? We hear rumors that, you know, they could shut down the borders entirely and not let anyone in or out of the country. Does it seem like that might be happening in the near future? I think they're still trying to get a sense of how bad um, Omicron is. And that's a bit of an open question because it's so new. It's certainly possible. I think anything is possible. Um, that said, they and, and I, I know I talked to the Minister of Transport about that, um, and I talked about it before we went on the air, and I, the interview had to be taped on Friday, and I was kind of worried it might date by Sunday. And at that point, he said, look, I don't know. Like, we really don't know. Um, it didn't date. They haven't brought in more sense, but is the, the possibility there? Mm. It is, uh, but I think that it would have to be pretty serious, and it is obviously getting quite serious, um, because the politics around shutting down further, um, it, they kind of have to balance this between being accused of not doing enough and shutting down completely, um, which could trigger the you know uh, even bigger backlash because a lot of people are really really sick of dealing with COVID, and um, that could create you know a political issue for them. That said, keep in mind if you're a Canadian citizen, you always have a right of return. You can always come back to your own country, but it can be really difficult to get a flight out of certain countries in that case. Um, and there is a possibility that they could bring back that 14 day quarantine, yeah. which is the real deterrent for a lot of folks who are thinking about going on vacation because that would be maybe another two weeks where they're not working. The time, perhaps additional cost if you're stranded paying for hotels. Yeah, sure. lots to consider. Uh, let's switch gears and talk about the Department of National Defense, Mercedes, something you've covered obviously extensively over the past number, number of months. And after an historic apology, the question arises, what's next and how long it'll take to transform our National Defense Department, and the culture of the armed forces in Canada. You can't put a timeline on this, can you? No, although Jane Carignol, who is the lieutenant general in charge of it, says uh, her timeline is about five years which is wow. a pretty long time. Uh, and she said even that may not be realistic and, and achievable. It might need to be longer than that because the changes that have to happen are so deep. And, and one of the things they're really focusing on is changing the leadership. So in the last round of, of sexual misconduct uh, scandal the military went through, it was a lot of sort of um, questions about... How, you know, giving presentations and telling people not to do certain things, what was appropriate, not appropriate in the workplace. And, you know, this round was very different because it was really allegations against the leadership of the Canadian Armed Forces uh, and, and allegations that weren't just about sexual misconduct. A lot of experts say it's really about a toxic power dynamic. And there's always going to be a pretty extraordinary power dynamic in an organization like the military, because by definition, they can order somebody to do something that will cause them to die. 
that requires you to have extraordinary power over another human being that you, you just don't as a civilian in, in our lives. Um, but how do you make sure you have compassionate leaders who are looking out for their people and not mm-hmm. taking advantage of that? So they're looking at things like um, how do you psychologically test some of these potential future leaders, uh, talking to the subordinates of those potential future leaders, trying to make sure you're choosing the right people, not just always um, the captain who is driving the ship or the infantier who is at the front kicking doors. Um, you would never see, for example, someone from the medical branch or the logistics branch uh, or from the HR branch running the military. It was always the war fighters. And now they're saying maybe it's time to expand that out. I mean, those people all go to war too. When you're the CDS, you're not the one running around on the ground shooting at people and being shot at, you're doing the strategy. So so maybe they should look at a broader scope as sort of what they seem to be saying. Um, but it's, it's certainly a very tough road ahead, and they've lost a lot of people. A lot of people have released from the Canadian Armed Forces over this who were angry and sick of what they were seeing, and it, it, it became an actual problem for them in terms of the middle management and recruiting new people. So they're sort of recognizing um, at this point, this is no longer about bad headlines that might go away. It's about changing a very large organization and institution, and that's really tough to do. Five years, that's a lofty goal for sure. Well, we know you're the one who broke this thing wide open, right, to start with. So we'll be following it with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate it always. Thanks so much for having me. Merry Christmas to you, Mercedes. Merry Christmas to you too. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Before you head out of town for the holidays, we've got some tips and advice you need to know before locking the door behind you. This morning, we are joined by Tammy Truman, owner of Truman Insurance. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for getting up nice and early with us. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Yeah, no problem at all. Appreciate it. So long story short, uh, I called police on the weekend to do a welfare check on my single older neighbor because we hadn't seen her in a couple of weeks and there was something weird going on with the house. There was this brown liquid running down the outside walls and garage door. All the windows were wet inside, frozen on the outside. Turns out she was away, didn't have anyone checking on her house and an upstairs water pipe had burst and her house was basically flooded from top to bottom. So that's why we wanted to talk to you. If people are doing some holiday traveling, what are the insurance rules you need to know when you leave your house unattended, Tammy? Okay, during the regular heating season, which is definitely right now, if you are gone more than five consecutive days, you have to have a competent person enter your house every 24 hours. Whoa, 24 hours. Okay, I heard three days, so it's 24 hours. In the heating season... If you're gone more than five days, every 24 hours, someone has to come in and check. Tammy, you're the pro, and this is the way it has to be. Having said that, do you find most people are surprised to hear that that's a requirement to, to, you know, be fully covered? Yes. I think people know, but they tend to want to forget or don't think it's not going to happen to them, Mm. so I don't need to worry about it. Um, There's a real easy fix, though, if I can share. Yes, please do. Get an alarm system. If you you have an alarm system in your furnace room, which would let you know that there's heating issues in your home, boom, no problem. No one has to enter. Full coverage. So when you say an alarm system, again, we need some specifics. Is this something that's attached, you know, to to specific equipment, be it the the water heater or the furnace, or is this just a basic alarm system that would sense the temperature difference? Any type of alarm system, as long as it will let you know and it can monitor the air temperature, that's all you need. doesn't have to be expensive. So it would 
it, it then would be able to detect if I had a, a pipe burst like that? It would, it would detect something in the home that was going wrong? Correct. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Now, in this instance, and if someone has this happen to them, would insurance cover the damage or, or are you now in, into a fight because nobody was in checking in on the home every 24 hours? Well, I mean, it is the heating season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if this lady was gone for more than five consecutive days and no one was checking in, uh, it, it it might not work out very well for her. Wow. Okay, so it's really important that we, we know exactly what our policy states, what you have to do, and, and make sure that you do it. Yeah, like our policies are five days, but perhaps someone else's is three days. So, But every policy is going to have some type of wording in it. Um, there's one other way that you can avoid someone coming into your home, but I don't think it's very feasible, and that is if you turn off your water and drain all your lines. Mm. Well, mm. who's going to do that in the middle of the winter? Yeah. Yeah, well, turning off the water is fine, but the draining of the, you know what I mean? I'm sure you could just flip that switch. But in the end, uh, Tammy, I'm wondering, because it, what Sue saw was amazing uh, to her and enough to, you know, shock her into calling the police to do a welfare check on on this family with a, with a bizarre-looking house in the exterior. How common is it in your business that you're receiving claims of this nature? Because I, I've never heard of it, but it must happen. These water burst and rupture and freezing of pipes is the number one claim in this city in Calgary. What? In the winter. Yeah, it happens all the time. All the, Every morning I get up and I look at the claims that have been submitted overnight. Mm-hmm. Water pipe, water pipe, water pipe. Wow. Okay. And now somebody texted in to ask, what if you have a smart thermostat? Does that count as that alarm system that you were referring to? Does a smart thermostat notify them if I'm not familiar? I don't think it does. I think it's just one that you can program. So it wouldn't be. This is specifically you're talking about an alarm system that you would put in your furnace room. Correct. Because if, if the furnace room gets cold, that's where the heat that's where the heat happens. So the alarm, it makes sense that it's in the furnace room. A great a great thing to bring up. And you mm-hmm. know what? Super topical. I know that a lot of us haven't been traveling, but that might be the other part. It's been a long time since we've traveled. So always timely. And we appreciate your expertise, Tammy. No problem. Stay safe and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Tammy. Tammy Truman, owner of Truman Insurance Agency, cooperators.ca slash local slash Truman Insurance. Social media has fueled anti-vaccine rhetoric and helped spread misinformation throughout the COVID pandemic. This morning, we're joined by Ashley Stewart, national online journalist with Global News, who's written a brilliant article called The Great COVID-19 Infodemic. Good morning to you, Ashley. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much. A really, really good article. And to get the information that you've shared in this article, you joined all of the anti-vaccine social media groups. So, wow, good on you, first of all. But break down the gist of the article for us and what you found by joining these groups. Yeah, so it was exactly that, basically. I was kind of trying to find where all of these conspiracy theories and and baseless kind of accusations and things against the COVID-19 vaccines were coming from. And a lot of people, I mean, Facebook has been trying to get a lot of people off its platforms for sharing disinformation, things like that. And a lot of people have migrated to Telegram. And there is just a huge amount of these groups proliferating across the country, sharing um, disinformation about the vaccines and its side effects, like really exaggerated claims that have no kind of 
space in fact for and I mean they're kind of banding together to share businesses that aren't kind of um, enforcing vaccine rates and things like that so there's this online community that have grouped together to share all this kind of um, harmful disinformation um, so I kind of was wanting to find where that nucleus was and it is effectively on telegram uh, on huh. Telegram, so we'll break into to, to more into Telegram in a second, but I'm wondering, you know, outside looking in, Ashley, I see on social media people sharing memes, for example, and I thought it was bits and pieces that people found. Uh, but are you inferring that uh, this is uh, this is uh, much more organized uh, than, uh, you know, the average person would know about? I mean, it's important to also note that this is not kind of the realm of the vaccine hesitant. This is the extreme fringes yeah. of society that, mm-hmm. that truly believe that if you take this vaccine, you're going to die, basically. Um, so there is some organization to it, but also it's kind of just like um, shouting into a void. It's about sharing whatever you've, you've read a headline that says the COVID-19 vaccine is going to give you myocarditis and, and those kind of things and just dropping that information into a pool of like-minded people that are going to go then share elsewhere. So it's just, it, it's, it's grounded in the facts that people are not doing their homework and, and checking on the facts of, of what's correct and what's not. I hate to give it much oxygen, but let's talk a little bit about Telegram and, and the fact that you saw the numbers really increasing quite quickly in terms of the number of people joining some of these groups that are online from when you started looking into it to when you wrote the article. Yeah, I think it's hard to say. There was a, it, the, the channels kind of have anything from 500 people to 50,000 people. Um, but the difference is that they're really, there's a lot of engagement there. It's not just like people are sharing one or two comments per day kind of thing. It's hundreds and, and like dozens and dozens of, of the same kind of thing, that things that are just being reshared and reshared. And they could be conspiracy theories that have been debunked in the mainstream media, but they will then turn up on telegram or facebook or whatever it is again so they're growing but also they're they're proliferating across the country so more channels are being made for healthcare workers and federal employees and um regional specific groups and things like that to kind of keep all these people really um connected and really engaged and it's helping them organize protests and, and things like that so let's talk about, you know, is it, does it become sort of a, a cult mentality? Like the more that you're sharing, the more that you're visiting these sites, that you, you feel like you belong and, and uh, they're seeing the proliferation of, of the information from people who have become, I guess, converts? I think so. I think, I mean, I, any attempt for me to try and rationalize, rationalize this is kind of mm-hmm. lost. But the, the only thing I can think of is just the fact that if you read something enough times, you're going to start to believe it because... These things are just being shared over and over again. There's no facts to back them up or anything like that. And people, I'm assuming people who are easily persuaded either way, I mean, you might be joining these groups and you might be just vaccine hesitant, but after reading this this constant stream of disinformation for days and days and days, you, you're going to start to think, oh, well, what's the government and what's the mainstream media not telling us? But mm-hmm. we're not telling you because these things don't exist. <laughs> So what was your main takeaway, would you say, after doing this deep dive? You've been, you've been into it, you've been looking into it for months now and uh, seeing all this rhetoric and these groups and everything that's being done. What's your main takeaway from it? 
It's a tricky one because, again, like what you were saying before, we we don't necessarily want to give this too much airtime because it is just, I mean, 99% of the, the information on these groups are, are not true. Um, so it's it's difficult. You don't We don't want to be focusing on this rhetoric too much, but also like we can't ignore the growing unhappiness and the growing um, sharing of this disinformation. I mean, it's seeping into right-wing politics. It's seeping into the mainstream. More people are kind of talking about it because we're not doing an effective enough job for to, to debunk this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do think we need to pay close attention to what's going on and just kind of make sure that we're debunking what what we can so people know that this stuff is not true. And to that point, Ashley, I know that we want to we spend time on social media for entertainment or to keep in touch with family and friends. What do you say to people, you know, to, to be sure that they're, they're safeguarded, if, if, if that's a possibility to offer suggestions when it comes to seeing this information and, uh, you know, not sharing the wrong info? I would just say it's as easy as a quick Google search. If you see something on Facebook or on social media or something being shared about vaccine side effects, about COVID-19, about anything like that. It can seem real. There's a lot of information out there at the moment. There's a lot of things being shared. But all you have to do is jump on Google and quickly check to see if it's misinformation or it's, or it's fact. It's, it's really not hard to kind of just do your homework and just make sure that you're not seeing something and just sharing it off the cuff. Great reminder for sure. Excellent article. People can uh, Google the great COVID-19 infodemic to find your article. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ashley Stewart, national online journalist with Global News. It really is. A, it's a deep dive. It's a, it's a long article and well worth the read. Well, it's interesting because I think yeah, we see bits and pieces here and there, but to, to actually join these groups, to follow them actively, mm-hmm. see their updates, their posts, their notifications just how uh, extensive it is. And yeah, I think that the real quote unquote soldiers uh, in this infodemic are the people who blindly see something and say, well, perfect. I'll share this. You know, yeah. And and that's using your critical mind, right? When you read something that makes you go, hmm, that seems a little weird or or could that really be true? Then do do a little bit of a search, do your own homework. You're never going to be a researcher. You're not going to be a scientist, but you can find the information that scientists have already done. And, you know, Global News has a policy, three checks to find out whether a piece of information is accurate or not. You've got to be able to verify it through three separate sources. So that's a great rule of thumb for things that you find on the internet. It is, and it's a, it's a different time. Whereas those cat memes and pictures of my hamburger, <laughs> they're not going to offend anybody and lead somebody down the wrong path, I would think. Hope not, anyway. Last week, we were all given the opportunity to go and pick up our rapid test kits, our COVID rapid test kits, Andy. And yes, few and far between. A lot of people couldn't get their hands on them. Mm-hmm. I managed to... If if you have a healthcare number, you're able to get one box per person who has a healthcare number. Okay, so we got them. I did one for my daughter on the weekend because she wasn't feeling quite well. So I kind of got the gist of how to do it. I tested myself as well. And I'm going to show everybody else how to do the test. Because okay. there's a little bit to it, right? It's no big deal. But just so that people don't kind of get all worked up and, and freaked out about it, it. You don't have to shove anything up high into your brain. It's very simple to do the test. And the instructions, shockingly... They're not Ikea instructions. They're very well laid out. It should be pretty easy for everybody to figure them out. So They are. Do you want to kind of go through it while I while yeah. I do this? You've got your work kind of workbench in front of you there. And, you know, it's cliche to say it, but there are a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Test procedure, bring devices, reagents, and specimens to a room temperature, 15 degrees to 30 Celsius before use. You don't want that frozen test. Mm-mm. Label a clean extraction tube with a patient or control identification. 
Well, if it's just you, I think you probably know where the specimen's coming from. Hopefully. All right. And we do have uh, our morning show producer, Reese Schaefer, here. He is videoing it, so we'll put yes. this up on social media. Hi, everybody. So here's what we do. You set you set everything up. Everything mm-hmm. is nicely labeled and in the box. You've got a little... Remember when you were in uh, chemistry and you had these little things where you put your, your test tube in yeah. here, Andy? So you've got a little test tube. You can see that. You've got a little vial that you crack the top and put the liquid into the test tube, and then you just put that aside. That's everything the extraction comes, buffer. Everything comes in nice little foil packaging, well labeled. Again, your instructions are good. And here's your Q-tip. Is I have not had a COVID test done by AHS. Is it similar to that? That looks like it's about... not quite half as long. The okay. ones from AHS are longer, but they're the similar style. I'm sorry to all of those who are watching on video that you need to be subjected to this, but you put it in your nose. But you're just doing the out, inside your nostril, inside just kind of the nostril. outside rim. And then you're they not... say to kind of like hold it down and then do, the, oh, do that. Okay, so now I'm going to do the other nostril. It's just, It just feels like there's a feather in your nose. Okay, so I'm going to take that now and I Going to put it into the liquid. Sorry, everybody. You're going to swirl the swab. I'm swirling the 10 swab. 10 to 15 times. Into my liquid that's in my test tube. Very simple to do, right? So, okay. I'm doing that. I'm swirling. Everything is grand. And then it tells you explicitly to make sure you put everything away properly because it's all, you know, technically um, got germs on it. So, you put it back in the thing. It is a specimen, really. I'm going to, I'm going to bleach wipe everything down here once I'm done. But So, I've got my liquid in here. And then I put the lid on it. There's a little lid that they give you. And then there's a little test strip here. And it's almost like if anyone's ever seen or done, everybody's seen a movie or a show, but it's like a little home pregnancy kind of thing where you drop a liquid on there and it will show you a line as to whether you are negative or positive. So hoping we're going to have one line because in the instructions, and I'll show this to Reese. I can two are positive. So we'll show you here. This is what it looks like. You're going to see this. If you are positive for COVID, you're going to see this if you are negative for COVID. So you want one line to show up on this here. Yeah, So one. there's a place it shows you where you drop your thing and all you do is squeeze your little, squeeze your little uh, test tube there into the little spot that it tells you to. And then your line is going to show there eventually. So it's really simple. Just honestly, follow the instructions on the paperwork. It's really easy to do. There are five uh, separate... Um, tests per box, per kit box that you get. Yeah. And it's pretty easy. Two Follow are, the instructions. The two are positive, the two red. Right. The one red is negative. But there's also uh, uh, there's also a, a little light pink line you can get, mm-hmm. which is T, which means invalid. There was obviously something. So something went wrong. Maybe the temperature, as we mentioned. Uh, so you you want to follow these instructions? Are they uh, you know uh, incredibly difficult? No, but they're they're involved. There's yeah. a, there's a few things to get done. Read it before you do it, so you understand it, and then you can do the kit, whether it's for you or whether it's for a child in your life. But it's not super hard to follow. Just give it a read through first. If you're not sure, ask somebody else. But you know it, it is it is pretty simple. They've done it fairly simply, so that you know most of us can understand it. Yeah, well, and it's uh, we got a couple. I think it takes what two minutes to get your final results. Yeah, it takes a couple um, of minutes. Siobhan just sends a note in right now. Mm-hmm. She says, "I sure wish I could find the rapid test." Yeah, that's search, been a problem. Yeah, search the government website. Cannot find a single one within 100 kilometers where I live. Oh wow! And I do live about 40 kilometers of you know outside of the city. And we did hear reports too that some people were grabbing you know multiple test kits from their pharmacies. I hope the pharmacies have realized that they need to tuck them away and just hand them out as someone comes and gives their ID, right? So you can see right now, Reese, come look in on this and you'll see pretty clearly it's showing a single line, which is what we see here as well. So 
so negative and negative. There you have it. I'm relieved, though I thought I maybe had a few days off. But yeah. that being said, that wouldn't be good over the Christmas holidays. So you can see it's pretty easy to do. No problem. And if you're unsure, maybe your kids aren't sure before you go do your Christmas holiday gathering, maybe do the test. Yeah, if you can get one. Mm-hmm. We're getting more tests apparently into the province next week. And got a great question uh, Chris sends in, which is, uh, you know, has to do with the, the chrono- uh, chronology. If this were to be positive, he says, so if you get a positive test, are you supposed to go to AHS and do a real test? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yes. So this is because this like, is a home kit to give you a good indication, but it's not perfect. Yeah, and more so, you'd get more false uh, negatives, or sorry, uh, negatives and positives. So if you get that positive, that's important for you to book through AHS for sure. Mine is negative. Hallelujah. Hey. Test yourselves if you want, folks. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.